welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow us on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all of your favorite pods. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me as always, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, and is ready for any scenario that has the Hornets season starting sooner rather than later. Hello, Colin. That's, that's right, Nikki. Hello, hello. I don't care about LeBron. I care about the fact that I haven't seen my team play in nearly a calendar year. Let's get some Hornets basketball on the court. I like that. I'm here for that. You look, you, you look like you're here for this, too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I'm just generally optimistic. I don't know. Like, it's, it's a tough time right now. I know we're going we're gonna to talk about some, some bad stuff, but I'm just, it's just, I'm just optimistic right now. That's all. I like it. Let's be the optimistic podcast today. Mr. Optimism himself, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and wishes someone could be as good of a friend to him as Tom Brady is to Antonio Brown. You don't think Colin and I are your Antonio Browns? First of all, I'd like to really commend myself for not jumping in um, when you guys were talking earlier before I was introduced like a gentleman, because I know that's the rules. Um, But I would like to go ahead and announce that I am still on Team Denny uh for pick number three for the charlotte hornets not 100 percent sure what his last name is but i do know that he's from israel and um i'm out on wiseman i'm out on the other guy that somebody else mock drafted us just stay at three let's get that israeli guy in here and just uh l'chaim <laughs> colin do you have thoughts <laughs> Oh, I have thoughts. Look, we have – I don't know how anybody could be mad at the Hornets when it comes to – I know we've got a couple weeks here. But it's like we haven't seen these guys. They've, they, they, we haven't seen them in six months. They could, they could have grown three inches, added 20 pounds. When you're that young, at this point, I just – I don't know how we – I don't know. On the how outside, old how do you think the that they are? Are they, are, are they growing three inches still? Like, is that something that happens to NBA players? Have you heard of Giannis? I know this isn't Hornets corner, but uh, yeah, 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 that's fair. Giannis and Ted Kumpo grew three inches after he was drafted. Yeah, I'm just saying, young guys. Not all of us. Not all of us fill out by 13. Sign Giannis's brother, uh, and then maybe he'll come to to Charlotte. That's how it works, right? You sign their brother, and they'll come to town. I also, um, yes. uh, I I wasn't fully filled out by the time I was 13, but um, that's more of a story for another podcast. So I think we don't need to we don't need to share that thing. You're still growing, aren't you? Yeah, I think we all are. I'm certainly growing uh, emotionally as a person. I'm learning something new about myself every single day. That's right. Grow- I'm trying to embrace musical theater in 2020. It's you know we're all we're all taking steps. Me and Dante Jackson both doing acupuncture in 2020. Things are happening. Like it's it's all. Well, I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Did you say you were trying to embrace musical theater? <laughs> Who me? I, I was. I tried to slip that in. I was just gonna let you keep on moving. What's going on? Oh no! I, I'm sorry. I must have. Uh, I must have missed it. Let's. I guess we'll just move on. I, I would like to hear more about this, though, Colin. Can you maybe elaborate on this? <laughs> this this growth and newfound love for musical theater. Just it's just a celebration of, of tunes. I mean these these are great storytelling <laughs> tunes. tunes. <laughs> I mean, uh, sit down, sit down. You're rocking the boat. I mean, there's just there's there's great songs in there. There's great discoveries. Oklahoma. I mean, who knew? Who knew that Oklahoma had a cool song? These are the these are the ramblings of somebody who got tra- who got called back into a bit that he was not ready to make specific <laughs> references to. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, musicals. Uh, Oklahoma um, playing the Chiefs is going to feel like five thousand two hundred seventy-five <laughs> minutes or whatever it is. Uh, a fun fact on that, I have one CD in my car because I do have a CD player in my car, and it is the Rent soundtrack, and oh, it gets played yeah. a lot more than you would think it gets played. And I, I believe it's 525,600 minutes. Am I, Correct. Yeah, that's how you measure, measure a year. Hey, hey we said we're not going to talk about politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, no, speak- no large numbers, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I made a mistake today. I tweeted out the, um, or I guess yesterday, through the magic of podcasting, uh, I tweeted out a picture of the map of the CBS late game to show how much uh, uh, Pittsburgh and Dallas were. And it's like completely red with like a little bit of blue around Miami and people freaked out. And it was like, oh, geez, no, I'm sorry. I, just, I was just trying to point out that that's a terrible game and I would rather watch Tua. 
Um, that's my this bad. is a that terrible decision being made. Yeah, no, this is a terrible decision being made right now because, yeah, Tua versus Kyler Murray, a, a little college football playoff rematch versus seeing the Cowboys get, get stomped by the, uh, the Steelers. Give me, give me the other little matchup. Yeah, uh, you may have you may have noticed uh, I, that we don't have a guest today. Um, there, there's there are other things happening that we're going to let our our friends in the Charlotte media cover. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we are going to be going it alone. And when I say unfortunately, I mean fortunately because I like spending time with just the two of you guys, just the two of us building castles in the sky. Hashtag musicals. Which Hashtag one of us and is I. Tom Brady? By the way. Are you Tom Brady and we're like Antonio Brown and Gronk? Is that how it works? Or I do eat a lot of ice cream that most people would find uh, offensive. So, well, Brady and I have similar diets. So, he I don't he goes to McDonald's. <laughs> I don't drink enough water for for Brady. I don't think he drink doesn't he drink like a gallon like a gallon? I think a gallon is too little, right? He drinks like five gallons of water a day. Oh. That guy is like peeing it up, just like <laughs> like clockwork. I actually uh, no. Let's talk. We'll talk about football. I'll share my uh, drinking too much water and then peeing story. Maybe on a on a uh, maybe off air. Maybe I'll just share that one off air. I feel like we all learned a lot about each other in the last five minutes, so we're just going to skip Nikki's super important question. Let's just go right to football. Is that okay? Absolutely. <laughs> let's. My let's... favorite musical is Little Shop of Horrors. FYI. What's number two? Oh, great question. Um, uh, uh, man, we were so close to getting into football. I would say um, I actually I do enjoy Rent, but I might say um, I really obviously Hamilton was kind of up there. I really liked uh, it's not called Away We Go, um, but I saw it last year and it was tremendous. And it's got to be second favorite if you can't remember the name of it. Uh, I'll I'll get in a second. Go ahead and uh, we'll okay. we'll we'll talk here. Okay, M- mine just in case anyone's wondering would be Rent, Les Mis, and then Wicked, and then probably Hamilton. Um, and and Rent is always number one. The others kind of flip flopped depending on my mood, but Rent's always number one. Les Mis okay. drags. Boom. Oh, How do you like no. that? It's so beautiful. Come from away, by the way. Come from away. That was what I was thinking. Uh, of. Great, great, great musical. So I'd recommend that one. Colin, maybe obviously you're familiar with all these. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I was just trying, I was saving those notes for the, for the, after the football discussion, but I can jump (laughs) in if you need me to. (laughs) Let's jump into football now. Let's start with news updates. CMC looks like he's coming back. Yes. You think this is a good idea to return this week? Joshua? Yeah. I mean, if he's a hundred percent healthy, I think let's do it. Like I, I think we said from the very beginning that it was like, it's a four to six week injury. And we're now at six and a half weeks. Um, so let's let's do it. Let's pull the trigger. Now's the time. Um, he's going to have to come back sometime. And, uh, and I think that if he feels like he's 100% healthy and the doctors think that he's 100% healthy, um, I think that if I'm being perfectly honest, I think the Panthers managed this injury pretty well. I think they, there, was, there was probably a temptation. There's probably – I mean, I'm not going to put thoughts in anybody's head. But let's, you know, Matt Rule in his deepest, darkest secrets when they were three and two was like texting Christian, like, hey, buddy, like, what, you doing okay? Like, what are, what are we thinking here? But they ultimately, I think they made the right decision. They took the kind of the maximum amount of time. If he's, gonna, he's back to 100%. And I think that this is a, you know, uh, this is a team that has gotten better while he's been gone. So um, that, that was kind of what they were hoping for. Well, the team's gotten better, but has the offense gotten better? I think the offense needs him to come back, and I don't know if the—I don't even know if his return is going to help this this run game. I, I I still think from a trajectory standpoint, we're obviously focused on the the years going forward, but this offense needs something, um, especially going against the quarterbacks they've been going against, and with the, with the youth on this defense and asking guys like Burns and Browns to play way too many snaps. I, the offense needs something, so yeah, it's a good time to bring him uh, to bring CMC back at this point. And, and like Josh said, they waited appropriately because there's no reason to risk anything in this given year. Yeah, especially when you got PJ Walker as the third string running back, you're going to be fine. Everybody knows it's going to be totally fine. But it's not about this year, fine. though, right? Like that's the whole thing, though. It's not about this year. So it's it's about what's doing right for Christian, and then and then getting him on the field. 
Oh, you're absolutely right. We've been, I mean, we will, we will continue to bang this drum. And as I'm sure that listeners that listen to us every week uh, are probably sick of this message, but like 2020 from a wins and loss perspective just doesn't matter. I'm sorry to say it. I know Colin, you don't agree with it as much as I do, but they could, they could finish this thing out three and 13. And I think they would still be able to have a successful season. Um, that's probably not true because I feel like a 11-game losing streak to end the season probably doesn't present the message that you want, but you get what I'm saying. Well, I, I largely agree with you. I just was not uh, – I was just not interested in tanking and trying to intentionally submarine the season. And I think what we've seen, the development out of Burns and, and, and even the rookies like Brown and Chin on defense, I think that, that these are building blocks. I look back to the Dolphins of a year ago and just think they weren't rushing – and this is where – that's why I view the Panthers. Now, let's take – let's just look at the Dolphins for a second because we, we've already talked about two ones. Last year, we, they were being told that they should tank. Now, they're being questioned is because they brought Tua in when Fitzpatrick was playing well. So, they were bad enough last year to possibly be tanking for the first pick, but now they need to be doing everything in order for the playoffs this year. The, the, the Dolphins have a long-term vision – it feels like I feel like the Panthers are on, on, on a similar trajectory and people that try and dive bomb in on your fan base and your team and tell you how you need to be doing things. It, it's obnoxious because they don't understand the situation. This is the first year of a, of a recharge. And this team has, I feel like this has, this team has as many young cornerstones as, as it's had in a long time. And part of that's because we had a veteran team, but I feel so good about the young cornerstones in place for this squad going forward. Absolutely. I mean, we got a new squad. Can't argue with that. Um, I think that you're absolutely right in bringing up that Dolphins example. And my issue this whole time, and the thing that I'm most concerned about, and that I'm still a little bit concerned about, is that overall they don't have a, they don't have like the 30 year, like maybe not 30 year, but they don't have this like big overarching vision. They kind of have this like, here's kind of where we want to get to. And here's, here are some of the ways that we're going to get to it, but some of the moves maybe don't necessarily fit into that where we want to be in five years plan, theoretically, at least not from the outside. And maybe they will from the inside. Maybe they will when we look back five years from now. But when you look at what the Dolphins were last year, very similar to where the Carolina Panthers are this year in that beginning of the season, before the season started, everybody said, this team is looking to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. They had a brand new coach who was coming in trying to establish some culture. They brought in a new quarterback, a veteran quarterback, who people said, hey, this guy is probably not going to be the quarterback of the future. In Miami, I was obvious Fitzpatrick was not going to be the quarterback of the future, but he was a steward to guide along the rest of those young players. And, yes, the Dolphins went a little bit further with it. They traded Laramie Tunsil, and they might now somehow make the playoffs and end up with the number one pick, which seems Seems good. Um, but they they went a little bit further with it than the Panthers did, which I ultimately think that I would have liked to have seen them take a couple more steps. Maybe this week with the trade deadline, they could have shipped out a couple of guys for some draft picks in the future. But they didn't, and that's fine. But ultimately, I, I think that the example from what the Dolphins did uh, to what the Panthers are doing is a good one. Yeah. And, and I think the most likely candidate to be to have been that guy would have been KK. And then KK gets taken off the field. Like, if Green Bay has that game against Minnesota that they do, and it's the trade deadline, and KK's sitting there, like, are they, are they feeling – are they, they making a move for somebody like him? You know, and, and then maybe you do get, you do get a, a front half of the draft type pick or something like that. Um, I just don't think – like, they didn't have a Laramie Tunsil at left tackle – to trade and get, get a they tackle. didn't have a young tackle to trade did they the did Panthers? they or didn't they do they <laughs> no they do not i think maybe they did they did obviously the trade deadline has passed um but i think no that... no, no no i'm talking about larry tongue larry tongue got a first round pick there is nobody on that offensive line that is getting a first round pick what do you think the the compensation would have been for taylor moton Who they're probably going to let walk in free agency this year? Oh, uh, obviously not that good. 
I mean, that's a good point. You, no, you're, yeah, you got that, a call for, for promoting and they said, we're going to give you a first round pick. <laughs> you hit mute, dance, accept, and then, and then <laughs> go about your day. <laughs> it's true. I, I, I don't know whether they did. We don't know whether that was yeah. the call or not. Um, but I think that ultimately most teams, everything that I heard and that you probably read, everybody read the same thing is that what was being asked for players was too high of a price. And I would imagine that was probably the same in Carolina for somebody like Taylor Moten or maybe Curtis Samuel or somebody else that maybe you thought to yourselves, Hey, they're probably not going to trade that guy, but then they're certainly not going to do it for whatever the compensation was going to be. And this is where for me, if the value is not there, I know you can say, Hey, I'll always take that extra swing in the fourth round or whatever it is. But I feel like this, this team does have some kind of positive, momentum going forward if you take another offensive lineman out of the, like what does the second half of this season look like is, is it just a pure disaster does all the good things that you've done the first half get submarine because you decided you, that extra fourth round pick was really worth it like that's where to me finish out the year you know like there are guys that are here for this year and there are guys that are here for the future we look at one in the middle of the linebacker he's here for now he's probably not here for the future there's other guys certainly too and don't get hung up on those guys. I'm focused on the guys that I think are, are going to be here um, going forward. Another storyline that we're looking at this week is Jeremy Chin and this knee injury. Josh, what's going on with that? Yeah, um, Colin, you're, you mentioned the, the young cornerstones. and I mean, obviously, he's probably the second biggest one on the team right now uh, behind Brian Burns. So it's, it's always a little bit uh, – it's always a little bit scary when somebody like that pops up on a Wednesday after a long break uh, and not being able to practice. Matt Rule kind of made it seem like this was a lingering injury from college, which makes me seem even more scared. And then Brian Burns said that he told Jeremy Chin not to rush anything. And Dante Jackson said that he was making sure to tell Jeremy Chin, you know, keep your head in the game, even if you can't be on the field. So this, uh, again, this is the same thing as Christian McCaffrey. Like, if this guy has a knee thing, please hold him out. Like, please, please, please hold him out. Let's get a Darius Taylor in there. Sam Franklin can play more. Well, Sam Franklin's already going to play a lot. Whatever. Miles Hartsfield can get in there and play. Like, whatever. If, if, if you got to let Mahomes throw for 8,000 yards on Sunday because Jeremy Chin can't go, do it because this is, guy is too important to rush him back out there at 75 80%. And watching him, again, we talked about it a little bit last week. Again, I like it so much better when he is closer to the line of scrimmage. They, they put him out there in center field, and it just feels like all the impact that he has is, is lost. And they did a better job this week, you know, this past week against Atlanta, mixing it up. But, man, it, it almost feels, again, like Thomas Davis. Those early years of Thomas Davis when they were putting him at safety and his impact's limited, and you bring closer to the line. He's plays. I mean, he, he makes that from all directions. You don't see guys, you know, making tackles. The play he, when they when he got hurt, or he hurt Ridley, you know, coming back and, and chasing Ridley down, stuff like that. Like he's closer to the action there. I rather, I just much rather see him up there. With that being said, at his size and Josh, we've talked about it this year. That knee, uh, whatever this knee is, take care of the player. This this season is not important. Yep. And the other thing is that he probably, and it's one of those things where I think this is where not being able to see him on a daily basis really hurts you, uh, really hurts people that are following the team and people that are trying to report on the team in that I would imagine he is a lot bigger now than he was in April during what would have been OTAs. And sometimes, I'm sorry. He probably grew three inches. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. That's what happens. He's still growing. Things happen. Uh, and when you're looking at this guy, like that is something that maybe his body is adjusting to. And it's kind of the same thing for Dennis Daly. Like that was a big guy had a high ankle sprain. It's a lot of weight for that ankle to support. Sounds so stupid, but it is. And so same, maybe that's the same thing with Jeremy Chin. And I'm certainly, I'm not going to sit here and speculate about what kind of injury he has, but I do think I just want people to be prepared when you listen to this and you think to yourself, Oh man, like, Jeremy's chin's going to be fine. Um, I think this may be something that keeps him out on Sunday. And it may not. He may be back to practice tomorrow, and then all this this segment will just uh, be us sounding dumb. Sounds like Matt Rule and Phil Snow building an excuse. 
for this Sunday's game. <laughs> <laughs> it will be a shame if he misses time, though, because I do think that he was on track to win rookie of the year. Yeah. And, certainly, and like clo- this, this certainly close. This past week, I think he had four pressures on eight r- pass rushes. Like that kind of that kind of production on the pass rush. That's just again why this guy is such a dynamic player. He can cover tight ends. He can get to the quarterback. He's a, he he just he's a lot of fun to he's a lot of fun to watch. We haven't talked about the fake punt. We haven't talked since Atlanta, but um, I mean, he called that fake punt. Like uh, like that's how you run a fake punt. Is they called off the fake punt. And then Jeremy Chin went out there, was smart enough to realize that he has short edge on special teams and said, I'm going to pull, call it back on and then ran for a first down. Also the kind of thing that puts you that like gives you that extra edge in the rookie of the year competition when you're like, and also he had this one carry on special teams for a first down. You say that, but it's, but we're talking about seeing the game for what it is. Absolutely. I'm not seeing, joking. Yeah. 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 I'm with you because the, and what happened is the Falcons, we're like, they might try and fake it here on fourth and four. And they had their defense out there and they said, oh, delay a game fourth and nine. Well, now they're definitely punting. And that's what created the situation. The Falcons actually had it snuffed out and didn't trust themselves. But great Let's, play by Chen. Yeah. Let's do a halfway point check-in. We're officially midway through the season. So let's talk about what we've seen through these first eight games. Who have you been most impressed with? I want to. I want to ask this to you guys. Answering this question, I want to ask you to you this way, though. I have been more impressed from a from a from a unit standpoint here. I've been more impressed with the defense to this point, acknowledging their flaws, particularly in the back end with all the young guys. I've been more impressed with the defense than the offense here, particularly over the last month. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, I think what. Phil Snow has been able to do, and we're going to get to the coaching staff and spoilers. Uh, Phil Snow has been more impressive than Joe Brady, um, and and I would just venture to say better than Joe Brady has been uh, over the first eight games of the season. And I, I think that it's one of those things where you're absolutely right. When you look at the talent level on the defense, it depends on what you want to use the word impressed. If you want to say that you are surprised, I'm certainly more surprised by the defense than I am by the offense. But I I think what the defense has brought from a scheme standpoint and from a um, from their ability to they are clearly just making these decisions. And one of those things that people keep saying is like, oh, the the Panthers are really bad on third down because they allow first and second down to get to, to have first and or to have third and short. And the the other team has great time of possession and it's like that to me is a little bit more scheme based than I think we're giving Phil Snow credit for I think that Phil Snow is actively trying to keep them on the field and I'll be really interested to see how what how his scheme translates to a to a big play offense like the Kansas City Chiefs in that he has been actively saying to these other teams like hey check it down man throw these four yard passes and and we're we're fine with that and then if you mess up if if Burns can get there and cause a strip sack. If you throw an inaccurate pass and we can pick it off, we're going to do that, but we're going to give you, there's a reason why they're, they're among the uh, best in the league in terms of yards per completion allowed. And I think that is because Phil Snow has tilted the defense this way, specifically because of what he has uh, on that roster. Yeah. They want to keep it underneath. And then when they get the advantage, they want to come and get you. And we're going to hear about the stat, whatever. I don't, when was the last – you know, the Panthers, of course, one punt in the last month. Yep. But three – It's not great. It's not great. Yeah, but at the same time, they've had three third downs where they've gotten penalties on a DB that's not involved in the play that have extended drives against Drew Brees and Matt Ryan. Like, there's, there's three times you need to get off the field. Um, they, they had the, the two spots early on. Like, I'm with you. Like, we 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 back, bounced back and forth about Snow and how good he's been, but I just feel like that stat doesn't really describe what we're seeing with this Panthers defense. And plus, yes, they've given up some big plays, but it's not been 60, 70 yards. It's been 18 to 30 yards. And dudes are going and making those tackles and forcing the teams to then try and make uh, additional plays. And I'm not trying to <laughs> I'm not trying to shine up a 30 yard you know give up here, but the fact is that it doesn't turn in. It has not turned into the home run play for a lot of these teams. I I mean, I'm sorry. Like, this is a team that we expected to have the worst defense in the league. And statistically, they're 
<laughs> they're kind of up there in terms of uh, the worst defense in the league. But the most important statistic is points. And in a in a in a league that is scoring the most points in NFL history through eight weeks, they've allowed over thirty points three times, and they haven't done it since week four. Oh, I'm sorry, twice, and they haven't done it since week two. I apologize. They actually scored over thirty points uh, in week four. So in the past six weeks, as we've seen this defense get better, because I mean, week one and two, they were bad. And week two, they weren't done any favors by the offense. But week one, they were bad against uh, the Raiders. Um, oh, excuse me. Ew, Raiders! Um, I think that you look at what this uh, what this defense has done over the past six weeks. I, I've just – I have been very impressed with it. And, and to look at the long view of this, I don't know if we know what they want to be able to do ideally with this defense. And what I mean by that is, do they want to be able to go man up across the, the you know, the backfield, go cover zero like we've seen the Dolphins do, and cut guys like Chin and, and Burns and those athletic pass rushers loose and be able to man up? Because, you know, a guy that we have not seen a lot of, um, Thomas um, – or Stanley Thomas Oliver – he, they brought him in in man coverage situations. And I think we've seen them play a lot of zone, but with this, with who they've got in this field, I think long-term their goal may be able to be man up um, in those situations um, when they go after the quarterback. So we may not even be, be, we're not even seeing kind of what their vision is at this point. I think. Well, I think one of the things that Joe Brady continually said before the season started, he said it a bunch of times recently, well, not recently, but, as the season went on was that you, you, it's not my Joe Brady scheme. The scheme is reflected in what kind of players are on the field. And in reality, what's happening is Phil snow has done that. I'm not sure that Joe Brady has done that. Phil snow has done that. Phil snow has said to himself, okay, who do I have back here? Okay. I can't be running Rasul Douglas in his second week on the team. I can't have him manning up. I can't have, uh, Dante Jackson and Troy Pride running man coverage. And even though when you look at the Falcons and the Falcons are much better against zone coverage than man coverage, obviously when you have a guy like Matt, Matt Ryan, you just couldn't run that man coverage because of who's on the field. I mean, they just don't have the legs for it. They don't have the talent for it. And that is what happens when you are rebuilding a roster is you don't have the talent for the scheme that you want to run. And so you just run the scheme for the talent that you have on the team. And then when you have that talent, you can change and be more effective. But ultimately I think what he's doing right now is really smart. And, and I'm, glad that he is doing it because I think we're all a little bit worried college coaches coming in and saying, well, this is our scheme and it's going to work as opposed to what they're doing, which is we got to change our, we got to change our thinking in order to make this work in the NFL. Now I'm not saying some of this three, three, five, three, five, three stuff that he's rolled out there. Can't go back into the garage and not come back out. For <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not giving him a hundred on the test, but I, I really think given what he's got to work with, I, I've really, I really feel like you have to be impressed with what Phil Snow's done in year one. And I know we've talked about Chin and Burns here, but hey, being born with Darren and his impact. And again, this is a guy in a rookie year being asked to play a high level of snaps. I think he and Burns, you see their effectiveness kind of taper towards the end of the games. As this roster gets better going forward, I think you see these guys' impact increase even more. Yeah, I mean, you look at just like the young, and we're going to stop – harping on this defense but it's like you look at the young players on this defense um and just how many of them were on the field on thursday night is insane it's like Derek brown brian burns uh dante jackson troy pride um uh i know gross matos wasn't playing but even if you lump in like fa abata Stan thomas oliver uh bravion roy sam franklin uh, even Corn Elder is still pretty young. Marquise Haynes, Miles Hartsfield. Like, these guys are all under 25 years old. I didn't even mention Jeremy Chin. Like, that. this is the future of this defense, and you are they are building this defense, and these guys are the foundation. And we're talking about guys that are – most of those guys we talked about are playing 50% of the snaps and at least playing 30% of the snaps. And, and, and it feels right now – Quality like, reps. Yeah, and it feels right now like they're the guys that you look at and go, they're going to be here for a while, and there's some guys that got a chance to be here for a while, and there's some guys that aren't going to be here for a while. And, you know, I think this year, you know, more than any other year, it's, it's maybe easier to pick those guys up. That's been my big thing, and I think you, you 
we're, we're all on the same page in terms of like, you look at this team and people are like, we got to upgrade this spot. And it's like, not, you don't have to do it this year. Like that's what happens is like you, you have a foundation of guys. When you're building a house, you don't just dump a whole house out. You put a foundation down, then you add some walls, then you put up wallpaper. And then at the end is when you move in the furniture and you're ready to move in. And it's not just ready to go immediately. Sometimes you have guys, maybe, you know, the, um, the, the chimney isn't ready. Maybe the middle linebacker needs to be swapped out for some stucco. You know, these kind of things need to make changes, but just because you're not seeing it right now doesn't mean that you're not building towards the future. Who or what have you been most disappointed by? Uh, I'll go ahead and say it, because uh, I think I, I, I'll just go ahead and say it. Um, Teddy Bridgewater has not been as good as I thought he was going to be, um, and I didn't have high, super high expectations for him. Um, and I get what they're doing. And I think eight games into the season, it might be a little bit more clear that this is a guy that is uh, a strong leader and knows how to run an offense in an NFL team and can be a leader if you give him the pieces around it. But you just cannot um, – cannot ignore what's been happening in the fourth quarter of these games. I mean, there's only so there's only so many times you can look at it and say, well, we had a chance to win the game and we didn't um, before you have to start kind of looking at who you want to place blame on. And I get that DJ Moore ran the wrong route when it was fourth and two. And the guy made a great play and came off Curtis Samuel when he threw the interception against Atlanta and he didn't have any time. And that's why he took that sack. And that's why Joey Sly and they probably would have lost that game anyway. I get all that stuff. And I'm not saying that Teddy Bridgewater is a bad guy or a bad quarterback, but I have been a little bit, the question was what, what I've been disappointed in. And I have been disappointed in Teddy Bridgewater. Josh, I was definitely more optimistic about what Teddy was going to bring to this offense and what the, what he could mean for, for this team. And I, and I tried to compare him to Jake DeLome. Um, and I have to agree with everything that you're saying because instead of getting a, I don't say serviceable, but not the, the all-world arm talent, everything, all the, all the bells and whistles, but get a guy that in there that can be a game manager, can make the throws, and, and more than that, be that field general. And – it was really disconcerting to me to see air or to see Atlanta pressuring, showing pressure, and Teddy really being seemingly un, unwilling, unable to deal with it in terms of checks. Like I'm, I'm tired of seeing quarterbacks hard count when they need the four yards on fourth and four, and they're like, "We're going to get them this time." But like, if they're showing blitz, get up there, do do a fake call, make something, make them show something, especially with this offensive line. And it felt like they were timing again, snapping without knowing where, where the pressure was coming from. And in doing so, not making adjustments in, in terms of, you know, getting the ball out quickly. If you've got Curtis Samuel out there one-on-one -on -one and it's third and nine and they're coming, get the ball to Curtis Samuel quickly. But, you know, so – and it's not just, it's not just that. It's, it's, um, I, I was really disappointed, DJ Moore, not getting the ball until the, until the last drive and the first play of the game. All right, I'm using one here. That slant, <laughs> that play. I'm well, that's sorry. actually two. I know, two. I know. I used them both. I, from from watching um, Cam try to throw that to to to, to Big Goofy, um, the, just that slant where they show cover two and then they bring that safety down in the robber position, and it's like it's either going to be an interception or your receiver's just going to get destroyed time and again. I hate this play. We've watched it too long. I want this one gone. Overall, I'm with you. It's Teddy. It's got to be Teddy. We didn't get a chance to talk to Joe Brady last week, but I want to. One of the questions I'm going to ask him tomorrow or today through the magic of podcasting uh, is going to be if he's been satisfied with the tempo that the offense has been operating at. Because mm. I don't think so. Um, but maybe, maybe he is. But it seems like there have been times when it's just kind of like, what's happening back there? Like they're either they're coming out of the huddle in the wrong I, I just I, I don't I don't think anybody's gonna get we're not gonna figure out who is to blame for that whether they're doing it on purpose uh, Brady loves coach speak so he's not going to really give us a whole lot to say but I, I am curious because I just don't I just don't think that it's been there the sense of urgency 
the, I just, at, at a certain point, you have to look past the, well, I mean, this is what happened on this particular play and start looking at it as, as a trend. And that is one of the things that this team can't afford to do. You can't afford for these things to be trends that carry over into the future, into the next season. And when you look at Matt Rule and Joe Brady and uh, whoever else is on this team moving forward, you don't want it to be like, well, they get into the, fo- they get into the fourth quarter and they can't finish. And that has been something that's been happening in San Diego slash LA for the past five years, except it's been a, you know, they're up by 15 and they lose, but that is not what you want to be. You don't want to be that kind of franchise. And, and you could be right. It could be, it could be a Brady. Brady deserves more of this blame than Bridgewater or anything like that. But against this Falcons team, who nobody thinks is a great defense. And by the way, had they traded? They're not. They're not. It's not that nobody thinks they're a great defense. They're an actively bad defense. They were the worst pass defense in the NFL coming into the game. And I don't think that the Panthers had a good game plan to attack it, especially against running backs. They could not stop running backs catching the ball. And Mike Davis did not have enough targets. Uh, The only one was the kind of fake fumble or the one where he got absolutely crushed by Matt Paradis. Uh, one drive over three and a half minutes in the game. I mean, that's not good enough from 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 Bridgewater and or Brady, the offense and in general. Um, there's a lot of questions there, and, and, and maybe it's unfair to Bridgewater. We've, we've, we're giving Phil Snow the benefit of the doubt. This is year one for Bridgewater and everything. But if for this offense to have the success that again that I thought they could have, they needed him to be a field general, and he's been more of a field major. Good, fine, make some adjustments. But ultimately, fourth quarter, not, not operating at the level that we are used to seeing quarterback. If you're going to be a playoff caliber quarterback and lead, be, a, be somebody that leads your team, you need to be able to make some of those plays and make some of those things work out, and it hasn't happened so far. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that Matt Rule mentioned today, in, he was talking about similarities uh, in, their, um, in their offense with uh, Kansas City. He said – that they actually have a very similar offense, except that they have Kansas City has had 41 chances to score, and the Panthers have had 39 chances to score, and the essentially the Chiefs score touchdowns and the Panthers kick field goals, and that has been the biggest difference. I mean, you look at over the course of eight games, Teddy Bridgewater has. 209 yards less passing than Pat Mahomes. And it's not like they've been super behind. It's not like they have been, you know, playing from behind for in all these games. Pat Mahomes, Patty Mahomes, as Brian Burns likes to call him, 21 touchdowns. Teddy Bridgewater, nine touchdowns passing. And when you look at how he ranks, yeah, this is exactly what I thought. Teddy Bridgewater, 24th in the league in passing touchdowns eighth in the league in passing yards. And those are the kind of stats that end up uh, that end up damning you to losing season. Who's been the best overall player on the team so far through this midway point? I would venture to say that it's been Brian Burns. I, I think that when you look at the guy, the amount of impact that he is able to have, and obviously they're asking him to play a ton of snaps, but he is also, he is the only threat to get to the quarterback. There is nobody else. There is nobody else to uh, attract attention. There is nobody else that the other team is focusing on. When, they, when the offensive line is practicing uh, Wednesday through Saturday, the only jersey of the opposing team that they, their scout team is wearing is 53. Like nobody's wearing 98 to show you where Marquise Haynes is lining up. Nobody's like, oh, you got you to make sure you know where 94 is. And I think that 94 has had a really good season so far. The only jersey – of a pass rusher is 53 because that is the only one that matters. It's the only one that the core, that is the only one that Pat Mahomes is going to be pointing at on Sunday at Kansas city, because he has been an absolute force. If I remember correctly, and I just want to make sure that I quote the stat correctly, pro football focus has him rated as the number one pass rushing edge in the entire NFL. And that is not easy to do, especially when you are the only option that the offense has to be careful of. So in my mind, it's been Brian Burns. 
I mean, a month ago, you probably would have said Robbie Anderson, but now I, I'm hard-pressed to, to disagree with Burns, particularly because of the impact plays that he's made, the forced fumbles on the sacks. That just adds this, this additional element. His ability to play on both sides, a high snap count, and keep his motor going. I do think, as we've talked about before, he's learned some lessons out there, along with the rest of the defense. But it, it's boring, and I hate, to, I hate to keep agreeing with you on this one, Josh, but it, it's, it's Burnsy. He's been pretty good uh, dropping back into coverage, too, surprisingly. He, that was something that he was not very good at last year. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. Whenever he would drop back, it was always like, oh, boy, watch it. Oh, no. Like, I hope nobody's going into his zone. But now <laughs> it's been, you know, obviously they've asked him to drop back a lot more. But he has been, uh, he has been better as a drop back defensive end when they run those – when they run that – that three uh, three man front that you absolutely hate. A lot of times, Burns is not down rushing. He is one of the guys standing up, waiting to uh, waiting to drop back into coverage. So I think he's been pretty good, and I'm just excited to see the the leap that he's able to make over the next few years. When you talk about guys to be excited about for the future, Brian Burns is literally at the top of the list for me. Yeah, absolutely. What about the coaching staff? What are your thoughts halfway through? I look at the offense, and, and you know we, we badgered on um, badgered on Bridgewater for a little bit here, but the, the run game, and, and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's if it's Brady, I don't know if somebody on the offensive line has a tell, but I'll be darned if it doesn't feel like fifty percent of the time they try and run the ball, there's somebody in that in that backfield before they're even there. I don't know if Reed's got a tell or something, but man, there. Multiple times, Mike Davis was trying to make dudes miss three, four yards behind the line of scrimmage, and I don't know who you fault on that one, but it, it seems like it's happened way too much. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think that it's been. I, I think he also. We came into expect. We came into the year with very, very, very high expectations for Joe Brady, as in people thought this was going to be the best offense uh, in Panthers history, and one of the best offenses in the league. And I think ultimately we just maybe had unrealistic and, and too high expectation for, uh, for a college coach that was coming in with no offseason, brand-new quarterback, brand-new offense, brand-new roster. And I think that he can still get a lot better. And you've seen some flashes, but I do think that there are things that he needs to improve on. And that is what, again, bang the same drum all day long – just like they did in that famous musical. What was it, Colin? I wish there was a video podcast for you guys to see how, uh, how upset Colin looked and how shocked yeah, and how not ready he was to name the famous musical The Lion King. Um, I think that... He was close. He was going to say cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Joe Brady has been... Less of a magical Mr. Mistopheles and really more of a rum tum tugger, if you ask me. Like, I, I think that it's those are the only two characters I know. I think that it's been, it, it, these are the things that he can get better at. That's what I'm trying to say. Keep, but keep banging that drum. It doesn't really, like, it's not great that he is struggling on these fourth and short calls or struggling in the red zone. But you know what? He can get better at that. That's what happens when you're a young coach. You have things that you struggle at early and you get better at them as your career goes on. And so that is going to be something that I think we need to see from Joe Brady moving forward is getting better as he goes on. Yeah, and you, you've used to coaching with the talent advantage and now you're, you're, you're not doing that. There's Great all point. kinds of things. And it's, it's what we talked about before where it's like they, people talked about him as a head coach. They said, no, it's too early. He needs these reps. And I do believe that. I think he's got – he has learned some lessons this year going against defensive coordinators. They've gotten baited into things at different times. Like this is a learning process. This is a rookie coach in the NFL calling these plays. And you just can't – you can't, you know, you can't forget that. And I'm with you. I think it'll be – I'm still optimistic about where we're going with Joe Brady. I'm just not sure – that CMC's return, and I know they're playing the Chiefs, but even for the offensive sake, I'm not sure that CMC's return is really going to energize this this group. I want to take a minute to talk about Matt Rule because obviously we talk about these coordinators a lot. I think that the job that Matt Rule has done in uh, installing his culture for good or for bad has been impressive. 
because this team already feels like Matt Rule's team. And when you see guys like Eli Apple getting released after leaving practice because they can't go with a hamstring injury, you say to yourself, oh, that's because it seems like that's because Matt Rule doesn't want him on the team anymore and he's not a Matt Rule guy. And then when you hear Jeremy Chin talk about Teddy Bridgewater going back into the game on Thursday night after concussion and the words out of his mouth are, that's the brand. That to me is like Matt Rule putting his stamp on this team and these young guys are ready. And again, will it work? I don't know, but you see it happening and you see what they're doing in that he does have this, he has this like this Pied Piper quality to get these guys behind him. And does it feel a little bit like a college program? I I think it does, but ultimately that doesn't mean it can't be successful. It's just a, it's a tough road, I think, because that road has been hoed before and not successfully, but it doesn't mean that Matt rule can't come in and be successful at what he's doing because what he has done thus far has been impressive. To your point, listening to Dante Jackson today and just in his press conference, it feels like a different player. It feels like he's coming at things from a different mindset of, of, of you know, the team. And, and part of that comes with maturity. But I, I, maybe, again, maybe this is misappropriating credit here, but it does feel like that comes from the attitude that, that comes from Coach Rule and trickles down to the defensive coaching staff. And Dante Jackson now went from like the – you know, the, the, the rookie that it's all about himself to now being like, he sounds like a team leader and he's, you know, saying the right things. And I'll be honest, I was impressed with Dante Jackson and I don't know what changed, but something has definitely changed from what we've heard in the past to, to today. Let's look ahead to Sunday. Do the Panthers Do we ha- have to? Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it too. Do the Panthers have any chance in this game? Any given Sunday. Wait, wait. I we're an optimistic podcast. Obviously, we're we're obviously we're very optimistic. Um, I think that they do have a chance on Sunday, and I'm going to tell you why. One of the things that we have seen from this Chiefs team is that it has taken them a little bit to get going. In the they have not been they have not been spectacular in the first quarter of of games thus far. And I think that the only way that you can attack this Chiefs defense is through the run game. They are very good against the pass. I believe they're 27th in DVOA against the run. And guess who's coming back? Oh, they're running back. But the Panthers have to be – they have to do this the correct way. They have to say, okay, we are going to run Mike Davis and Christian McCaffrey. It's not going to be just the Christian McCaffrey show. We're going to have both those guys on the field. Sometimes we're going to pass occasionally, and we're going to be running this clock down to third, down to one every single time, try and keep this defense or try and keep our defense off the field and run that defense the way that you have run it in the past in that you keep everything in front of you. If you let Tyreek Hill get behind you and they're scoring 70-yard touchdowns, obviously this team is going to lose. But – This team has been very good at limiting big plays from big play offenses. They haven't allowed, they didn't allow uh, Kyler Murray to tear them up. They didn't allow the Falcons to make big plays on them. Obviously the saints aren't really don't have that like big play dagger style offense, but they have been good at keeping everything in front of them. And that is the recipe for winning is keep everything in front of you on defense and keep the ball in your hands. Uh, keep the ball in your hands on offense and run, run, run. And this is the question. Will they be able to sustain drives on offense? If you're going to make the, if you're going to make the case, that's how you do it. We just talked about the against Atlanta. This was something they were doing well early on. So maybe, maybe CMC does kind of come back in and, and reintroduce that. And we haven't gotten a chance to see CMC and Davis out there um, as, a, as part of the 11 on the field. So how do they, how does Brady utilize that? There's a lot there. I think you've got it. You got to win the turnover battle. This sounds like the cliche boilerplate stuff, but but you got to make a play on defense, and you got to keep the you got to keep the offense off the field. That's that's the recipe, um, or keep the Chiefs' offense off the field. That's the recipe. Yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs. Here here are their uh, fourth their first quarter point totals. Ready? Zero zero six six seven seven 
10, and then 14 against the Jets, but that doesn't really count. And those 14 against the Jets, I believe they came near the end of the first quarter because I remember they, would, they were down 9 nothing at one point or 6 nothing at one point. Um, so I, I think that it's one of those, which, by the way, was never in doubt. Like, obviously, they were always going to win that game by 25. <laughs> but it did feel a little bit, and somebody else, I, I heard somebody else make this point, felt a little bit like they wanted to run it up on the Jets. Like they wanted to say, hey, look, Mahomes had five touchdowns, baby. Chiefs are back. And it's like, I'm not sure that this Chiefs team is as – they're obviously. I'm, the last thing I'm going to do is sit here and talk to you about how the Chiefs aren't that good and, the, and whatever. But I think that the 11.5 point spread seems too high to me, especially for a team that has not lost by that many points all season. And especially when you look at home field advantage, doesn't matter because Arrowhead is not Arrowhead this season. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is there is a chance. There is a chance. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a great chance, but you're telling me there's a chance. And not to mention, we haven't seen what a Matt Rule looks like off of additional rest. We have not, we have not seen what a Matt Rule slash Joe Brady slash Phil Snow coaching staff looks like when they have an extra few days to prepare. We have not seen what a team like this looks like when they are getting up for a game, when we know they like to be the underdogs, we, we know they like to play, they play better when they are thought of as underdogs versus when they are given the chance to win. And so this to me is kind of, it feels like there is a chance to get, we talked about it at the beginning of the season. I think we may have even talked about it this episode. This is a team that you don't necessarily need to win games, but if you are going to win them, like signature wins like this that you can build on going into the season and going into Arrowhead being the Super Bowl champs would certainly be one of those. KC comes off a game where they win easily against the Jets. They're facing an NFC opponent and they're looking at a bye week. Dare I say trap game? Oh, baby. Oh, Trapping it up. Well, and we're getting some people back. Everyone's off that COVID list now. How big is Douglas's return? Yeah, huge. Maybe even bigger than CMC's return. And my, I mean, uh, obviously. That was just unnecessary. That was unwarranted. And that was a cheap shot. And we should move on. Obviously, you're getting the best running back in the league. I get it. But this secondary against Pat Mahomes, Patty Mahomes, as Brian Burns calls him, I've said it before and I will say it two more times throughout the podcast because I think it's hilarious that he called him Patty. <laughs> and then just like in the middle of another answer to another question was like, what has he got, a half a billion dollars? Like he just, just <laughs> dropped that in and then he just moved on casually. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I lost my train of thought because I was so enamored with Brian Burns calling him Patty Mahomes, but yeah, I'm sorry. But <laughs> you when you're lining up Troy Pride, you're fitting Rasul Douglas for his yellow jacket. I think <laughs> I think I was, what I was doing was I was fitting him for a cape. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, any other thoughts on this game before we move on? The, the one thing I want you to watch, it, it's something that I've learned and, and you may be mad at me for mentioning this. Sam Franklin, Sam Franklin has, has something to say about every play. He has a response to every play. As soon as the play ends, Sam Franklin will do – whether it's the fist pump, whether it's the ah shucks, we almost got him. Sam Franklin will always let you know how the play goes. He's very expressive. Mm-hmm. That's every fun. play. I don't know every that I noticed play. that, but I'll, I'll be sure to keep an eye out for that. Everybody will keep an eye on that now. All right, move on to the game. Free agent decision time. So on the Riot Report, Vincent Richardson, friend of the podcast, obviously, weighed in on what the Panthers should do with the players facing free agency in 2021. So you keeping them or letting them walk? Let's start with Taylor Moten. Well, uh, here's the thing. I, I think that it obviously all of these things, caveat, hashtag caveat, is going to depend on the price, right? We get that Taylor Moten is not worth the most, the highest tackle contract in league history. But this is the kind of guy that you draft him. He is a homegrown pick, and it is hard to let guys like this go. It's hard to say, hey, we drafted this guy. We identified a talent in the second round, and now four years into his career, we're going to go and let him be the, the stalwart right tackle for another team. That being said, uh, Vincent had a really good point is that he is a very, very good player, but he is not a guy that you can build this offensive line around. And that is when you get to the point of how much is the price, if it's going to be $16 million a year, 
uh, I don't know if you want to pay $16 million a year for, your, for, for, right the, for a top five right tackle. And I love Taylor Moten. And I think that he can be a guy that can't, that, that is a very, he's like a great guy, great leader, great player, great attitude, tough, mental, like has everything that you want in a player. But the reality is a $16 million is a lot to pay for your right tackle. Not happening. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I don't. I don't have the, the money for that, and I don't think he's that kind of player. I think he is a solid B. Like he, he can be top five, but I always feel like he's going to be fourth or fifth. Like I don't think he's going to ascend to that top spot necessarily and be somebody that you're suddenly running behind. And this is where it becomes tricky because a lot of teams aren't good at this, and a lot of teams will give him more money. And if his agent is still fine, they can go find that. And you end up, you know, everything you said is true. You like the guy, you want him here, he's a second-round pick, but you thought he was a second-round pick, and now he won't, he's going to get paid like he's a first-round pick. That's just I – don't, I don't know what – what's the ability, other than just being solid, what is it about Taylor Moon's game that makes people think that you got to pay eight figures to keep him here? Let me ask you one other quick question, then we'll move past it. But uh, who, who is the best right tackle in the league right now? I couldn't. I couldn't. Exactly. Tell couldn't tell you, right? Right. That's yeah. that's not a great sign for why you should pay him sixteen million dollars to be the fourth best, or maybe even the third or the second best. But even still, yeah. I mean, it's just not. It's just. It's just not the. The value is just not there. And and look, is we thought we thought we had a guy in Daryl Williams, then he got hurt, and then Darryl, you know, like we we felt like there's been other guys that have been been close. I I don't know. I'm just not that number has. I have so little interest in in him at that number. And if you think Joel Siegel is giving him a hometown discount, he's not. Right. What about Curtis Samuel? See, I look at Curtis and say he if. If, instead of going and paying a tight end, if you pay him as the third guy, and you that to me works. That 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 to me can work. But again, what the number is going to going to ultimately be um, factors into factors into everything. But I would rather keep Samuel over Moten if I had to pick one. Yeah, I think you're going to end up. I think that the way that wide receiver contracts work, especially since he's like really he has like a weird value around the league. Um, maybe not commensurate to what he's been the way that he's produced, but he has been, I mean, he, he has been very good um, on this team and he has done what Matt rule wants. He has adjusted his game. He has been a Matt rule guy. He talks about how his favorite play of the year was when he was blocking for DJ Moore, and he has gone in on third down and made big plays and, so I think that there is some value in that. But again, if the contract is two years, 20 million, which is what I think they're paying to Robbie Anderson, I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Now, if it's three years, 12 million, okay, I'll bring him on back. Because that's, that's essentially what you're – if that's essentially what you paid Jarius Wright to be the third down guy and to be a veteran in the locker room. And I get that Curtis is not going to be a veteran in the locker room, but he can, he can be a stabilizing force and he can be uh, a third down presence and a gadget guy and somebody that you put in the, in the backfield when you absolutely need to. So I think that he also, and I know this doesn't matter and it's completely, and it's kind of like uh, it doesn't, it's, it's out of left field, but he feels like the kind of guy that if the Panthers let go, he will go somewhere else and be absolutely fantastic. Yep. If we were in, you know, in the, in the secret trust, uh, you know, center in the bowels of Bank of America Stadium, they were discussing whether or not were DJ Moore or Curtis Samuel. Do you think that, think the room is split? Um, I think they're pretty, they love DJ. I mean, I, I think DJ is really good. So I, I think that. Like the, getting the ball before the final drive of the game good or like. I mean. I'm just asking. I don't have a good. I don't have a good. I don't have a good response for that. I didn't call the place. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, that was an impossible spot. But I think it's interesting that, that from the that to me, I think from the outside, you could definitely have more discussions. Not that they do the same things. Not that you're you'd be paying them to do the exact same job. But if you were going to have to pick and choose between the two, I think it's interesting that, the, that you still think the organization would be much more pro DJ. The other thing is DJ Moore has another year on his deal and you can give him a, you can get the fifth year option and, and keep him there for another two years. Uh, and also is probably going to be due for a huge deal if he continues at the pace that he's at right now. So 
it, it's it's interesting to think about. Could you sign Curtis Samuel to three years, fifteen million, with the thought that maybe DJ Moore is in two years going to be gone because you don't want to pay him nineteen million a year? Or you move on at that time from Samuel and, and pay DJ if that's the way that's the way it were to work out. And draft another yeah. wide receiver. They looked. They wanted to draft a wide receiver this year. Like There's in the wide first receivers round. every year. So I see this is this is where I'm a believer that you don't pay the 80 percenters. You don't pay the B. It's kind of like what we talked about with Moten, but, but particularly at wide receiver and, and, and running back. Like those guys, I think you can find. It's only the you know the, the special ones. And and Samuel does Samuel add more of a dynamic to this offense than does DJ Moore, um, especially given the success of Robbie Anderson. I think that's that's part of it. And then also, how much can you afford to pay your wide receiver group in total? I, do you do you look at it that way, and you know because again, if I can steal from that tight end pool, maybe maybe we can make it work out a little bit easier. I I don't know. I would fight a whole lot harder to keep Curtis Samuel in the building than Moten. What about linebacker? Do you believe in paying the eighty percenters of the linebackers? Well, if I would pay an eighty percenter to play, is what I would pay. I'm it's the sixty percenters right now that are killing me. <laughs> right, like. I, I, I'll be, like, I'll, I'll be, I have nothing more to say on that subject. That was all. That was yeah. that was. No, I mean, like, I was, I was trying to be gung ho on a Darius Taylor. Give you know, give him, give Blanton the second go around here, and then he's just out of position on stuff. And it's like, all right, you're here today. That's basically how I feel about the entire linebacking core. And maybe that's one reason why I want Chen to be up there closer. <laughs> uh, let's rapid fire through the rest of these guys. So you guys give me a sentence for each of these. We'll start with F.A. Obata. Uh, you have to bring F.A. Obata back. I, I'm pretty sure he's a restricted free agent, but what he's given you on the inside, he's the only interior pass rush that they have right now. And the fact that you moved him from edge to interior it, and he was able to make that transition and be good. You know, he has the second most quarterback hits on the team behind Brian Burns. Like he is, he has been Genuinely good, and he and he and Derek Brown been running some combos, um, and that helped get him the, the one pressure where uh, Ryan ended up running into him um, and, and picking up the, the sack. Um, Obata is a guy that I, you know, I don't think anybody's coming along with the the, the big offer, and I think nope. you pay him, you pay him. It's just, yep, he's one of those guys that gets to keep sticking around. Two million a year, just keep on, keep on trucking. Joey Sly. Yeah, do it. I mean, I get it. He has missed some kicks, but uh, first of all, just contract-wise, he's an exclusive rights free agent, so you can pay him like the minimum, and he'll be back. Mm-hmm. And I, I have always been. I'm maybe I'm just fantasy football about it, but just pay your kicker the minimum. They're all kind of the same. And again, again, this team next year ne- doesn't necessarily need to be the best team in the league. So, uh, Joey Sly, come on back. Swole kicker. Let's make some swole kicker shirts. Are we yes. listening? Roaring Riot? What are you doing back there? Zach, I don't do you do listen to this time. podcast? He doesn't. <laughs> oh, the, there was his test. He's going to fail. Colin, any thoughts? It's a kicker. I'm with Josh. Pay him the minimum. There you go. Razul Douglas. Oh, see, that's tough because I think that Razul may, may, may have made himself a lot of money this year. Yeah. Um, maybe not a ton of money, but I think that he may have made him. I think he may have made him his himself four to six million dollars a year next year, especially because he was he had a little bit of a pedigree coming out of Philly. So I, I think that if you can, it depends on how your draft goes. But corner is it's tough, man, and it's tough to pay those guys that are at eighty percent. It's tough. But at the same time, I, I think – but it, with him and the, given their current cap situation, he's the kind of guy that I'd, I'd overpay him by a million, two million on a short-term deal. Okay. Just I'm not mad like, at it. You know. I'm not – you're not going to – you're not going to like, oh, well, yeah. not Razul <laughs> yeah. Douglas. Sure. Okay. Bring him back. I'm fine with that. What about Okun? No. Goodbye. He's going to retire, he, I think. He's going to be Bitcoining, right? Or something like that? He's Bitcoin mining or something? Also, okay. not to mention, like, you got to have – either let's let's pooper get off the pot with Greg Little. I think they're actually off the pot already. So, I, I think it's like you, you got to be – if I if they're not drafting a left tackle in the first or second round next year, I don't know what they're doing. Well, they need to get the hunting truck, and then they need to empty it out and then find us a left tackle. That's what, that's what they need to do. 
Is that the first time we've ever used the word poop on this podcast? I feel like it is. And honey truck. <laughs> How about man hurts hive, baby? Yes, bring him back. 10-year deal. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Give him that build, money. Build him a statue. Let's go. You, we laugh, but we, Thomas and Thomas and Manhurst, they've, you know, in the pass catching game, they're getting a few opportunities. They're making the most of it. It's exactly what we needed them, those guys to do um, in the pass game. So, Also, um, just throwing this out there, I don't know whether you're hearing it here first or you're hearing it from somebody else, but the Panthers are going to make a real move for a pass catching tight end, whether it's going to be either in the offseason or in the draft. Uh, I don't think they're getting what they want out of Thomas and Manhurts and, and the tight end spot. So I think they are going to, I think that's going to be a position that they value just like left tackle, just like defensive. Like I think there, there's a list, right? And I think the pass catching tight end is probably at the top of it. Not at the I top thought, of it. I apologize. It's probably on it. Yeah. I thought, I thought the tight end position, we were kind of unsure about how much Brady really wanted to, to emphasize that. Maybe. Because I haven't I, seen a whole lot of opportunities, but then maybe, I mean. Maybe I they're not open. The maybe they're just not getting it. What about Mike Davis and a bonus question part two? Should I still start him in fantasy Sunday? No. Uh, part two, no. Okay. And part one, uh, no, probably not. Ultimately, I think that he is running backs are just there. They're, you can get another Mike Davis probably in the fifth round of the draft. And I, he has been great. He has been exactly what they wanted from him. But I think that. Uh, although that being said, he may come back for a smaller amount than what he's making right now. So who knows? Again, it's just all about how much he's going to make. But I think that running backs, non Christian McCaffrey wise, it's tough to, it's tough to bring a guy back like that after he just had the best season of his career. Yeah. And the durability concerns that have kind of plagued him throughout his career have, kind of, have cropped up here. And also something else we don't talk about, he is he's subpar in pass protection. And yep. that is, that's weird to talk we had on, on a couple of occasions. And he may even get in the right hole, but just not make contact with the guy. Like <laughs> that's kind of one of those sneaky things that you really need your your running back, particularly if he's gonna be that number one. And I know we've got CMC coming back, but in that role where you want him to step in, I feel like Teddy Bridgewater does not have a security blanket back there with Mike Davis. One last one, J.J. Jansen. Oh, hell yeah. Is J.J. Jansen going to play anywhere else? Let's do it, baby. <laughs> J.J. Jansen should be – J.J. Jansen should just have right of first refusal. Like, I mean, he's a long – not only is he a long snapper, he's a good long snapper. Hasn't had a bad snap since, what, 2008, I think. So, bring him in. That's just got to be living your best life. That's – it really is. He's a long snapper. You just – Unless you unless you botch the one snap that everybody that's you're living your best life. Let him Keep let him stay here till he retires. Uh, like honestly, like what like what are we doing? Why would we bring in another long snapper? If you didn't bring in the Baylor or the Temple long snapper this year, you're not bringing in another long snapper. <laughs> so true. We'll just put his statue next to Manhurts' statue, right? Love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Where can they find you on the Twitters, boys? Colin. At Colin C L T. Follow me at Josh Klein Rules. Let's get that Israeli kid here to Charlotte. Let's, let's do it. Let's go. And I'm at Nikki704. This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network. Everybody, get off social media, take a deep breath, be nice to each other, and be sure to wash those hands. We'll see Stop you. Stop doom next scrolling. Week. <laughs> no doom, doom scrolling. scrolling.